Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's um, midday Monday. And I'll tell you the truth, I was supposed to have a swimming slot in JCC. It's all uh, rationed. And it turned out I went the wrong time. So now I'm stuck for an hour or something like that. So I'm going to use the time to do the Tefillah podcast today. And the reason I'm doing the Tefillah podcast is uh, somebody wrote me the other day and said, you know, uh, why don't you talk about this bracha or that bracha or all the rest of it? And uh, whatever it is. And I basically said, listen, I just do whatever comes to my mind. And anything that engages a passion or something like that, an interest, that's the best. Because then, if I'm spontaneous, then at least it's something I'm actually interested in. So I hope to get sooner or later to everything. But um, without any further ado, I'll get right down to business. This is the Tefillah Podcast, sponsored by, as always, Mishpachas Stefanski. And I'll tell you where I'm going. Barcheleno. Somebody asked me about Barcheleno. So happened, you know, I'm a creature of uh, happenstance. It depends what happened. So somebody um, gave me a book, you know, a bathroom reading, shall we say, uh, a while ago. And I just opened it the other day, not much yesterday, from McPherson about history of the Civil War. One of his later books, James McPherson, who's a well-known historian of the Civil War. I just happened to be reading about the Siege of Vicksburg. Some of you out there will have an idea what I'm talking about, others not. It's a famous siege. It took place by General Grant of the key city on the Mississippi River, 1862 and 1863. And skipping all the details, by the time it's over, there was a siege. And now the Union Army besieged the Southern Army in the city of Vicksburg. And eventually the city had to surrender. It had to surrender from starvation. Okay? So it's very similar to the Three Weeks and Tisha Bub and so forth. Had to surrender from starvation. It's a devil you do. Many people know a little bit about American history. You know they were eating rats and mom was starving. In other words, General Grant couldn't capture the city by frontal assault. It was too well defended, but instead they did by a siege and they starved them out. It was such a bad situation with the food that the soldiers themselves said to the general, who was an idiot, a Pemberton, they said, the soldiers said, surrender us or feed us. You get it? Feed us or surrender us. Can't do both. Can't starve to death. In the end, he surrendered and so forth. It's a famous Zach. Actually, it's the 4th of July. Next week is the 4th of July. If you know anything... At all. But American history, you'll know, 4th of July is the same day the Battle of Gettysburg and the same day Vicksburg surrendered in 1863. Shine. But what's my point? So, Grant, this is very famous. Although, here's, I'm going to share with you the Kiddush I didn't know that I saw from looking at McPherson's book. The city surrendered. Grant's army, the Union Army, marched in on the 4th of July, raised the Union flag, and they saw a starving city. The soldiers themselves, Grant writes about this in his autobiography. He wrote a famous autobiography, which is not 100% accurate, you know, no autobiography is accurate, but um, it's nevertheless a major work of American literature. He was a good writer. And it's famous that he said he came in and the, sol- the Union soldiers saw the Confederates who hated them. Mamish starving, skin and bones and all the rest of it. Uh, the Mamish been starving. And so the soldiers themselves, as a nice guy, took out from their own pockets food and gave the 
uh, starving Confederates. You know what I'm saying? In other words, from that day on, there's no more starvation. That shows you what a nice uh, group the Union Army was. And, and it was, okay? But what's interesting is, McPherson says as follows. He said, then the Union soldiers went to the hoarders and the people who had warehouses full of food that were jacking up the price and screwing everybody over, and they opened them up, right? In other words, during the when the Confederates were in the town, the uh, Confederate army, the, the commanders, uh, supported the hoarders. So that's amazing, right? In other words, he had one of the major battles of the Civil War, and it was in the, it was the entrance of the South to hold the city at all costs. But with myself, and there was food, and so they could have held out longer. And again, without going into details, they could have possibly raised the siege if they would have held out long enough. General Johnson and so forth. Um, but obviously, the head guys were on the take, and they had such a blind faith in, in supply and demand, and they allowed people to hoard the food. So they had the food there, but nobody in the town could get access to it unless you were a millionaire. You understand? It's a crazy, okay? Even the soldiers didn't have the food. The hoarders had warehouses with the food. And what Grant did was he opened up the, the thing. He said, it's been here all the time. You guys can use it now. That I didn't remember. Now, um, what's my point in all this? Hoarding or things like that, people cornering the market, jacking up the price, is a terrible thing. I just gave you the Vicksburg case where it's, uh, one of the most important Confederate cities were surrendered by the Confederates because they wouldn't interfere with their own hoarders. Um, same thing happened in Ushalayim in the time of um, Josephus. You can read about it. The Gemara describes even, in accordance with Josephus, have a kafno. Remember, Martha Baspisus, the lady who was rich and starved to death and so forth. Uh, right, starved to death. Um, there was food there. They didn't exactly hoard it, as far as I'm aware, from Josephus in the time of the siege on the basis of money, although you know, I, I, it seems more like on the basis of politics. Right? They only rewarded different zealot groups, rewarded their supporters. But my point's like this. Everyone is always at the mercy of what they call hoarders, or the Gemara says in Megillah that they created the bracha, they composed the bracha, Baruch Aleinu, Hashem Elokeinu, Es Hashan, Es Kol Mishvah Against the people who bust the price. There's the corner of the market, and then they jack up the price. Uh, it could be in real estate, it could be anything. The more had in mind food. Because in the old economies, once upon a time, as you can imagine, um, they didn't have like today, where um, at least, thank God, in America, there's no shortage of food. And if there is a drought in one place, they could bring quite quickly from another place. It has happened in Maryland. Once in a while, you have a drought of some kind or another. I don't know. You know, uh, so you can bring it from elsewhere, okay? There are places which have natural catastrophes. New Orleans, a couple years ago, you could bring the food from elsewhere. But once upon a time, it wasn't like that. And if there was no food in this Medina, you could starve to death, okay? Now, that's bad enough. That's what we call a natural disaster. Let's say some natural disaster hit someplace, and then there's no food. So you're suffering not from the disaster, not because you were hit by the tsunami, but by the economic consequences of the disaster. There's no food. Okay? Our ancestors lived like this. There's no food. Um, this is bad enough. And in Baruch Aleinu, whatever the Gemara says, you're saying, oh Lord, don't create such a situation. 
All the two should be good. How's it go? Same bracha pene adama. What does that mean? Same bracha pene adama. Let there be um, a lot of food. Bracha means a multitude, plentitude of a lot of food. And so forth. So you have the human being is always dependent or exposed to two possible disasters. And you're praying every day, three times a day to avoid those disasters. One is natural and one is man-made. Uh, which one is worse? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, they're both bad. If a person dies from starvation, they die from starvation. Or malnutrition, or there are people in history, sometimes relatives of ours, who were, were malnourished in Eastern Europe, and therefore they never grew in the right height, and this and that and the other, had this problem and that problem. You understand? You need proper nourishment. And when you bark you're addressing that problem. Now, as I said before, half the problem is a natural disaster. So you're davening, don't hit me with an earthquake, don't hit me with a tornado, don't hit us with a with a, a locust attack, and so on and so forth. We have that, of course, obviously. And that's something a person takes in mind. We in America have been pretty, what's the right word, um, uh, safe from that? Until the corona, you understand? I would say until two years ago, most of I was the, the things I'm saying, you know, in the intellectual sense made sense, but in the Lamaisa sense do not make sense, right? Um, because people say, well, I guess we have good and plenty over here. And I think most of my listeners are probably listening in Israel. Thank God, it's not a problem of food, I don't think. Uh, although there is an underclass there, no question about it. Uh, and if you live in an English-speaking country, you know, England, Australia, one of those places, it's not a problem of starvation. But there are places in the world where there is, okay? There aren't. And now, however, because of the corona, you everybody, even the most advanced countries, have a sense of exposure and sensitivity um, to this, unless you close your eyes and you're from the anti-group, and then you say it's all a fake. But if you're not, right, I can't do nothing about the nuts, but if you're not, then you say, you know, and don't send some weird zach out there, some variant, who knows what, that'll mess everything up, whether through reduction of the food supply, or for this reason, for that reason, and so forth. We happen to be living right now in very unusual times, at least here in the States, because the government is supplying food ever since Trump. They're giving away food. But they're giving away food because the government is exactly aware of the Barcelona problem. Right? The reason they give away the food is because they don't want a riot and a revolution. And this is where the rich person stops Barcelona. Because the rich person is how it is. Whatever the price is, I'll be able to afford it. I'm one of the lucky ones. Yes, that's true, up to a point. When it comes to Zach, where the rove of the population can't afford it, they make a revolution, revolutionary changes. That's when violence starts. That's how the Russian Revolution started. That's how the French Revolution started, and so on and so forth. And so the rich person said like this, I want peace and quiet so I can enjoy my richness. You see? I need social order. I need law and order, at least at a basic level. I need the political stability at least at a basic level, but the political stability is always fragile because of the food supply and things like that. And the person who's well-to-do and doesn't realize it is stupid. Okay? Now, the other half is the man-made. Forget the natural disaster. 
It's the man-made zach. You could have good and plenty, and a couple of schmoes, as they say, corner the market, uh, buy everything up and jack up the price. Now, we Jews have been like this as much as any other group. Okay? Any other group. We are... Um, um, whew. In the siege of Jerusalem, there was terrible starvation that the Gemara even describes. And if you want to get really disgusting, you read Josephus, if you got the nerve for it, right? If you got the nerve for it, uh, it's not easy reading. I'm going to be doing it. I do it every year on Tisha above. This year I'm doing Ultra near Tumut, I think. Uh, but um, you see this, the wasting away and the stealing of food from poor people by the powerful. That was pretty bad. Eicha also was all about starvation. And it's man-made. You know what I'm saying? During the siege of Jerusalem, it was possible to get food. Those who had the power had the food. It was possible to feed the population. They were just a bunch of schmoes. I'm sorry to say the people in charge. And they wouldn't share it. It's uh, pretty bad. And if you weren't properly connected, as they said before, it wasn't a matter of money. The story of Martha Baspice shows you it's not a matter of money. She didn't have the right connections. Um, Josephus confirms this. He said the rich people were really screwed over because the military groups took advantage of them and uh, tortured them to get their money and things like this. No, money is, was not the um, currency during the siege of Jerusalem. A political and, and power and, and violent power was the currency. I'm sorry to say, but that's what happened. Okay? As I said before, if you've got the stomach to read it, you know, you can, uh, you'll read it. Now, um, the point is that this is disgusting. Because of supply and demand, you have unconscionable people with no conscience, and they don't mind screwing the public over. You remember, like I do, at the beginning of the corona, I don't remember the details. Maybe it's a good thing I don't remember the details. There were a couple of from guys on Lakewood or Muncie or someplace like that. They wanted the corner market. I don't know what it was. It was on masks or something. Some, and they were arrested by the feds. I saw it in the yeshiva world. You get it? Now, think about that. They're going to victimize their own community. They don't care. You see? The profit motive and the ability to make a large profit is such the public does not care. Okay? The public does not care. And this is disgusting. Uh, but it's the way it is. So this is the same guy who dives in the show in the morning. And by the way, the, the pictures were on the uh, yeshiva world. They're from guys, but they're disgusting, right? Because in order for them to make the profit, they don't mind making everybody else suffer. There's no, uh, what's the right word? There's no um, final answer to what I just described. Because as long as supply and demand is around, and it's a basic part, supply and demand is an economic law, depends on the Yitzhahara. That is what supply and demand is about. Even Chazal said that you need the Yitzhahara to run the economy, Right? No one would get married, no one would build a house. You know that, Gamar, right? So you're relying on the basic acquisitive nature of a person ambitious, and you're crying with them, like Adam Smith said with the invisible hand, that this one's trying to make a profit, and that one's trying to make a profit. And from all of it together, it comes together an economy. In the proper way, it provides jobs for everybody. Some make more money, some make less money, but everybody's doing something. But it's the nature of this supply and demand that people want to go to extremes, it's just the nature, it's the Yitzhara. And they don't care about the social consequences of those extremes. And the result is terrible suffering. And the result of that is God gets angry 
as the Chazal say, brings Andromusi on the world, brings the terrible catastrophes. Now you say, who's the one who did the catastrophe? So the firm answer is, it was the Tzaniyas, it was the one dressed right, they didn't go to Shul enough, and all kind of stuff, because that's all self-serving. But the real reason, we are told in the rabbinic sources, is things like Mafkiye Sharm, and people cheating in the business, and so on and so forth, here in a very horrible way, and you're totally at their uh, mercy. My point is as follows. If they made a bracha for that, the implication is that without divine intervention, you're never going to be saved from that. And history demonstrates that there's no system out there that can beat the supply and the demand. The communists claimed to do it, but from day one it was a lie. right? From the time of Lenin, it was a big lie. Because anybody knows anything, you don't even have to have been in Russia. I was in Russia, but you don't have to be in Russia. From day one, there were two types of stores, at least. One for the Hamonam and one for the party members, the privileged. And when you could buy in the party store, I was in the party store, I saw it. And I was in Soviet Union 83. In the party store, you could buy things that were just not available to the public. So the public's mom is starving at different times and places, at different times and places. And in another store, but the store is surrounded by the police, they have all the food and goodies you want. So in other words, the supply and demand was working, but the only business is that it wasn't a classic supply and demand of, uh, you know, pure economics and sense of making money. It was supply and demand based on the communist system that there should be rewards and, and punishments uh, to reward the communists. You get it? Uh, I'm sure that goes on in China and every dictatorship in the world. The, the supply and demand is, is, is always there. It's just being manipulated by the well-to-do. Everybody knows in Israel... One of the problems they have, which they haven't talked about lately, interesting, is what they call the supply and demand shtick, or the shchitut, which is corruption. I'm sorry to say Bibi was associated with that, and these guys will also, before too long, because there's like 10 families that are in Israel, everybody knows that, and they move behind the scenes, because why should they expose themselves to the public? And behind the scenes, they manipulate the economy. And this is one of the reasons why you have a funny situation in Israel. Chaim uh, Meiselman wrote me to criticize me, said, why do you say Israel is a first world country? I don't know if I said that, but okay. Um, it's really a second world country. He's a little bit right. By that I mean, part of Israel is a first world country, but part of world is, Israel is not. Okay? And we all know this. We Americans, who go there for a visit, for them, if you come, you have enough money to afford a visit, then visiting Israel is like a Jewish Disneyland. Right? You ain't go to shawarma, you go to the restaurant, you do this, that, and the other, because you brought along a little bit of money to spend over here. After all, you feel like you're doing a mitzvah. You're spending money in Israel, helping the Israel economy, which is not false, okay? But it doesn't get to the underclass, get it? There's a belt of Jews. There's a belt of Jews. They're suffering, economically and otherwise. It's suffering. Uh, we'll see if the new government does anything about it or not. All I'm trying to say is, the problems I'm describing are existential. And there cannot be any way of coming up with an economic system or a policy that can fix it. The only thing you can do is you can, um, what's the right word? Manage it. Okay? You can manage it. And the history of America, more or less, you know, they manage it fairly well. Uh, at least from the point of view of the middle class. From the point of view of the, of the poor, I don't know. But to be honest with you, I think the poor in America are probably better off than in other places. I could be wrong about that, but that, that's my impression as a historian. You understand? For a whole bunch of reasons. But nevertheless, it is a fact 
And this is, as I say, a problem that cannot go away, and therefore can only be managed. Now, whenever you have a problem that can only be managed, so then you, let, let's put it this way, it's fragile. And you need divine intervention. And at least the rabbis thought so. <laughs> and consequently, they put in Barcolano, that you should say three times a day, every day, uh, so you're cursing out, you're pleading to frustrate the hoarders, the guys who corner the market and jack up the price. Because the only way you can do that is Barcolano if there's a, multi, a, a plentitude. You get it? No, if they're, they're, what you're diving for is these urbanishals. There should be so many strawberries this year, nobody can jack up the price of strawberries. There should be so much wheat this year, no one can jack up the price of wheat. There's so much milk this year, no one can jack up the price of milk. Now, the Chazal were thinking of a primitive economy from 2,000 years ago, obviously, when they composed this. Today, with modern market zachen, you know, it's possible for someone mom, to corner the gun to market, right? Uh, I don't follow the economics well. It's not one of my areas. I rely on IRA to keep me informed. Uh, but um, didn't they do that recently? Something, piracy on the internet or something like that? Where they wouldn't release oil or something like that unless they paid off? Words to that effect. That's a classic case of Barcolino. So, in my lifetime, uh, I've my generation has lived through one powerful manifestation of this, and that was the oil. When I was a little kid, the gas was uh, 25 cents a gallon, and uh, before the Arabs decided to do Mafkia Shar. The Arabs, as a policy, after the 73 war, they said, we're going to do Mafkia Shar. That was their policy. It's called OPEC. Right? And all of a sudden, the gas went from 30 cents to like a buck, and now in, in Baltimore it's like three bucks. It's crazy. It murders people in the pocketbook. Now, again, if you're rich and all that, you can afford it. But the rest of us ain't. Okay? So, um, the American society was hit like a, a, a two by four over the head. What has been the response of the uh, world in the last 50 years? Because it's about 50 years now. Almost to the Jackie and Boyle price, Barcelona. They've tried to increase the plentitude with the Alaska pipeline. This, that, and the other. I don't know enough to understand all the intricacies of it, but I know enough to know that the only way you can defeat it is through supply and demand by increasing the supply. Right, increasing the supply. I read once that Ronald Reagan. One of the ways he beat Russia it was interesting. Was he made a secret deal with Saudi Arabia to uh, increase, rev up the um, production of oil, and then it hit the Soviet Union in the pocket because the only foreign currency provider they had was the oil from Baku. And by increasing the supply, lowering the demand, they lowered the price. And that really screwed over Russia. It's one of the reasons that the Soviet Union went down. It's not the only reason, but it's one of the important reasons that the Soviet Union went down. All of this seems to me very lemaisadic. And this is something that everybody can have easy kavana in every day in davening. Uh, because you face it in your life, we are, most of us listening to this, are people who are consumers. Most of us listening to this, we're, at the, we're at, the, at the mercy of the hoarders. We rely on government laws and institutions in civilized countries to try to fight against the hoarders. But on the other hand, the hoarders, being very wealthy, they have powerful lobbies, and they try to suborn the politicians and very often get away with it. But I repeat what I said before. It's in the nature of capitalism. It's nature eats a horror it's like a parasite. The Yitzhahara will kill you. Right? We all know that. If you totally give him the Yitzhahara, the end is you won't have a great life. The Yitzhahara itself will destroy you. 
uh, I'll just give you an example. Suppose a guy gets hooked on the drugs. The drugs will take you down. The booze will take you down. The porno in its way will take you down. We know this, right? So it's a funny thing. You know, the the, the HR wants you to do something bad. But if, but if you really listen to it, instead of just indulging, so this what you call an intelligent way, intelligent way of sinning. You're a little here, a little here. You know who's the philosopher of the intelligent way of materialism? I'll call it the intelligent way of sinning. It's Epicurus, the, the Greek uh, uh, philosopher. That's what I call Epicurus. Epicurus. Epicurus is all about the intelligent of indulgence. Granted, if you have an unintelligent indulgence, that's no good. Like I say, you drink, drink, drink. Next thing you're an alcoholic. Next thing you're dead. That's unintelligent. An Epicurean would say, no, I did drink a drink once in a while. You know, something like that. When I do, it's a high-end stuff. But once in a while, you know, no ripple, right? But um, where's Kenny when this? Anyhow, um, that's a philosophical way of looking at it. But from a, a broad perspective, so what I was saying was the following. If you allow the hoarders or the pure capitalists, pure capitalists with no social conscience, uh, to have their way, then it'll, bite, it'll come to bite them. So I'll just, off the top of my head, how did the Russian Revolution break out? 1917, they hoarded all the food, the rich guys, the speculators, the public couldn't get it. Therefore, the public went on bread riots and overthrew the czar. And that led to everything afterwards. You know, the Russian Revolution and the communists and all the rest, all the other junk that we, the whole world suffered from. So the whole world suffered because there was nothing to check. There was no Barcelona. There was nothing to check. The Mafkia Sharab, even though the Mafkia Sharab, by definition, end up killing themselves. Because once the communists took over, they killed all the Mafki Sharp, right? Not because they're righteous, but they said, I guess, you're not going to be a Mafki Sharp. We, the communist party, be the Mafki Sharp. And that's how it goes around the world, right? So when the Chazal put, the, in, in my opinion, that's all I can ever do, when they put their finger on Barcelona, they really touched on something, I would say radioactive, if I can use that expression. Radioactive. They're talking about... Um, a basic feature of the human condition, there is no way to solve it. You need divine grace. You need, you need, as we say today, you need mazel. The Bernstein has to make the economy should work right, has to make that the regulatory agencies who are trying to fight against this in every Western country are doing their job. Um, it's better even for, for the rich. Right? Because you end up with a social order that provides law and order, and you can enjoy your rich, right? Because otherwise you'll be in trouble. Uh, the smart countries know this. And I'll say even more than that. As Jews, we see Sabeinu Mitevecha Vareshen Asin HaKashan HaMatoas. Sabeinu Mitevecha goes for the Goyim too. I'll tell you what I mean. One of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons for the anti-Semitism is poverty. Uh, and people say, yes, I don't have this and this one has it. As a matter of fact, even if everybody's starving, they'll blame it on the Jews. That's how history usually works out. Not always, but usually. When there's a chalta v'zavoto, when there's a plenty going around, when the standard of living is okay, the anti-Semitism, which is always latent, Ace of Son of Yaakov, there's, it's there. Ace of Son of Yaakov, it's there. But Esav said, Achi yeshli rov. <laughs> the story of Yaakov and Esav is the story that brings up what I just said. Esav hated Yaakov for stealing the birthright, as we all know the famous story. When he meets him 20 years later, whatever it is, meanwhile, Asa became a millionaire, Yaakov became a millionaire. No! <laughs> right? 
No. Cheated me out of a bracha. Meanwhile, I made a fortune in real estate. Meanwhile, I made a fortune in stock market. You know, Asa was doing, Asa was a billionaire. Achi yeshli rov. I mean, it's mamish, a story in the Chumash. You see, Esau's latent uh, hatred for Yaakov was palliated by Esau's satiety and prosperity. That's a powerful thing. That's a powerful thing. When you see Barcholini, you say, I guess I want not only me, I want everybody else to be doing okay. So I'll have a basic social order, social justice. And so we'll have, what's the right word? Um, in, you know, uh, Let's say peace and prosperity. <laughs> peace and prosperity. I'll give you a great example. Europe is a funny place. I don't think they ever dropped the anti-Semitism. I'm talking now from what I know, from from history and things like that. Even after the Holocaust. However, Europe prospered uh, after World War II. In an unprecedented way. I'm talking about Western Europe. Uh, the economy shot through the roof. And for the first time in European history, the people thought the white Europeans did well. The Hamonam did well. Okay, This was not the case earlier in history. The Hamonam did well. England, France, Germany, the Benelux, even Italy, and so forth and so on. They did, Scandinavia, they did well. Switzerland, Austria. Um, people had what to eat. They had food and clothing. They had good housing, and so on and so forth. They did. As a result, there was a tremendous attenuation of the sin of Israel. And what you see in Europe now is mainly from the Muslims moving in. That's how it goes. You see? 99% of it, as, as I understand it, 98% of it, is from the immigrants, which was a terrible, from the anti-Semitism point of view, was a terrible move. But as we all know what happened, um, this would get all trouble. Right? As far as the regular ones, and by the way, they can stir up the latent hatred in Esau. But since 1945, the Esau was a quiet. Uh, what does it go? Right? And even when Yaakov says, I can't walk with you, I'll walk behind you, Esau was okay with that. Because Esau was doing guns fine. It's a very powerful story as far as I'm concerned. People don't know necessarily how to interpret it correctly. Uh, that's what, uh, not in the Hershian sense, Esau got enlightened and this and the other. It got Uncle Shlom Miguel to therefore he was fine. You see? The other things is mine. The best example in the time is Germany, right? As everybody knows, Germany, its economy went through the roof. They had what they call Wirtschaftswunder, economic miracle, because the Germans are that good. And uh, there was tremendous prosperity. And so they don't mind giving the Jews billions. They gave Israel billions and the, the Shilomim, I repeat, billions. Originally they, originally, they fought and tried to knock down the price, and they did with Ben Gurion, they only had 800 million. But afterwards, they give a lot more, a ton more. All right, why? Because it doesn't hurt their lifestyle. Esau doesn't mind kissing Yaakov as long as Esau is doing well as a billionaire. So all of this is part of Barcelona. That's intelligent uh, self-interest, enlightened self-interest. I am praying that all the people in the world should do well so that it'll be better for me. Now, that's not an automatic solution for anti-Semitism, I'm sorry to say these countries have strong ideologies, ideologies, not because the Arab-Israeli crisis, so you have the Islamic stuff, so there, I don't think that the prosperity will attenuate anything. I could be wrong, I hope I'm wrong about that, I hope I'm wrong. The Israeli policy of the left wing in Israel is always based on the idea of the economic model, that if you simply provide greater prosperity, then the 
sin and sister all go away. I do, excuse me, I'm sorry, I do not believe that. But nevertheless, it's an important component. So all I'm saying, and with this I'll conclude, Baruch is a serious bracha. It not only hits you in your personal pocket, but it hits in the broad pocket. Uh, it behooves everybody, no matter what your economic class is, to keep in mind the large issue that I just described. If it helps, you think of the Yaakov and Asa model. Uh, the story, there's no story like that of Yaakov and Shmuel, right? Of Yitzhak and Shmuel like that. There's no story like that. But there's one with Asa. So that's interesting. And um, as I said before, don't believe for a second it won't go away. And as we all know, I'm sorry to say, from our own ranks, uh, are some of the worst offenders sometimes. So in many cities, this one expresses itself in America. I'm talking about uh, hoarding the thing, buying up the market, and jack up the price, regardless of what it does to the consumer. You know where we see the American from communities? Real estate. Guys will buy up the houses, and they'll jack up the price. And it kills the regular guy, the young couple, whoever wants to move, gets just settled down with a family. Who cares about that? Comes in, but, you know, I want to make the extra money. Uh, so in other words, they'll manipulate and they're moving the, in, the, in supply and demand. There's no market that's as open to supply and demand like the real estate, especially from area. I want to live near from a community. So you know it, so you jack up the price. Uh, we all know people that have suffered. And it could be Hasidim and this, and it's not going to, it don't matter, right? People follow ruthlessly the money thing. And, you know, and, and, and what do you do about it? Now, some communities try in America, you know, the Hasidim especially, to, you know, buy whole areas and make the prices better and things like that. But not generally, right? Not generally. I know in Baltimore we have this problem. And I'm sure you have the problem in Muncie and everywhere else. It's got to be. Um, you need Barcelona on that also. You need Barcelona on that also. In Israel, it is a big problem. The housing and the lack of housing is a biggie. Uh, Israel should have had a ton of housing uh, for various reasons. I won't go into now they have it. All this is no good with Barcelona, okay? So I think when you talk about food, you talk about housing, you talk about other things I haven't even thought of yet. Um, in some places, they use this policy for the chinuch. They'll jack up the price on the parents because they know you need the school. There's only one school here or you know, or Lakewood, you know, system, or whatever it is, it's all part of Barcelona. The Udavin every day, the good Lord, should intervene, because without divine intervention, you don't believe it'll ever be solved. I think that's plenty of food for thought. And with that, I bid you a good day. For sponsorship opportunities, or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.